G'day, everybody. It's uh, AD here, uh, just doing another episode of Better People, Better Business, uh, something that we hope will help you understand you a bit better, understand the teams and your organisation. Uh, today, I have the absolute delight and pleasure to be talking to a most amazing individual, Karina Moore, who is, apart from someone who I deeply admire, um, her work is around fearless leadership. She's a leading thinker in that space. Uh, Corinne does work around speaking, mentoring, facilitating. And she's authored a couple of books, Leaders Who Ask and Developing Direct Reports, uh, both well worth the read. And we'll stick links to those things in the show notes below. I think I'm using the right words there. Um, Corinne's had over 10 years in corporate leadership roles, uh, which is interesting. It gets even more interesting. Two and a half years living and teaching in a jungle refugee camp on the edge of a war zone. Uh, fascinating lessons that can be learned through that. And almost 15 years in and out of boardrooms working with senior leaders. Um, she's gained a lot to share with the audiences. Um, Corinne's really strong on waging a war on the wasted potential. Their mission is to speak, to spark people, to play their big game by developing fearless leadership. She's passionate about helping leaders connect deeply, lead fearlessly, and achieve results that transform. Um, hello, Corinne. Hello, Andrew. I feel like I should curtsy, except that I've got <laughs> A, I've got jeans on, and B, I'm sitting on a stool. But otherwise, yes. I would curtsy. We'll take it as a curtsy given. No, it's delightful <laughs> to have you here. And um, you know, for people who uh, we've got a nice little brief intro there, and I think they'll get to know a little bit more of you as we have this conversation. Um, and as we launch in, my first question for you is: the, the frame of this podcast is better people, better business. For you, what does that mean? The work you do, the way you look at the world, the work you do with organisations, what does better people, better business mean? I think business is a construct of people. Like you mm. can't have a business without having people, like the people in it. Like even if you're a, a solopreneur and there's just one of you, like you're a people. And yes, then, yeah. you know, who are you selling to? Like we'll talk about B2B. No, we're selling one business to another business, but we're actually selling one person representing one business to another person or people representing another business. So to me, um, and a business is people. So mm. it kind of feels like stating the obvious that if you have better people, and I don't know that, you know, from a value perspective, any people are better than any other people. So let's talk about better invested in, better supported, better led people, then you're going to have a better business. Mm, nice. So in the space that you work with, uh, particularly around um, waging a war on wasted potential, how does that play out? Like you, you talked about some of the different frames of better, and I love that, and it's really helpful. Um, and the intention is absolutely it's about what does better mean in regard to people. How, what kind of work do you what, What's your thoughts around how do we get better people? How do we get people better? Yeah, um, yeah. So as you said in the introduction, my space is fearless leadership, which mm. is that accessing untapped potential, like it's untapped potential in me, untapped potential in the people that I lead, in the business that I'm running, in the community that I am working in and for. Mm. Um, so fearless leadership is about that courageous step to have the conversations that matter, like the conversations that build trust mm. and move us forward. So my way of helping us to have better people and better businesses is predominantly working with the leadership teams um, to 
leverage the potential. Like it's it's interesting when I think about the evolution, and you've seen this, I'm sure, in the work that you've done, Andrew. We think we talked a lot about inclusion. Mm. Um, sorry, we talked a lot about diversity. Like diversity. we need different people. And yeah. initially, it was what, well, why? Because I'm pretty smart, and what you know, it would be much better if we just had more people like me, because then we would have <laughs> lots of smart people. Yeah. And then we we got at least to an intellectual understanding, and um, evidenced by a lot of research that says diverse teams operate better. So okay, great, let's diversity. So we'll bring in someone who's a bit different. Um, and, and in my space, when I'm working with leadership teams, diversity for me predominantly means thinking diversity. Now that might come from gender diversity, you know, uh, diversity in sexuality, diversity in backgrounds, education, um, et cetera. So diversity comes from different places, but I'm, comp- I'm predominantly focusing on thinking diversity. And, and so we've got diverse people, but it turns out it's actually bloody hard work to work with someone who's different to me. I'd much rather, like it's much more fun working with people who are just like me because mm. I say, hey, Andrew, I've been having this idea and you go, yeah, love That's it. Awesome, it's awesome, That's let's it. do it. You know, we'll yeah. get bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and um, there's no check in that. There's no, mm, might this work or, okay, I get you're thinking about it this way, I'm thinking about it that way. Mm. And now we're really understanding, and when I say we, I'm talking about leaders, not all leaders. I think we're understanding now that diversity isn't enough. We have to work out how we actually can work together. So how we, and, and that then takes us to inclusion. Like let's have some diverse people around, in my case, around the leadership team. And then how do we make sure we're including everybody? How do we make sure that everybody is bringing their best? How do we make sure that the conversations that we're having, the decisions that we're making are drawing on the potential of the whole team? Mm. And that's where that um, fearless leadership then involves bringing in that diversity so that we're including and we're leveraging the diversity. We're moving from diversity is, you know, different is wrong to different is opportunity, then to difference is our strength and that's and we can leverage that and um, have one really strong, powerful, aligned leadership team. Mm. That's a, and it's an interesting frame that um, love it, so thank you. There's this piece around diversity and, uh, and again, really clear there around diversity of thinking. It, it's a piece that sits above a lot of the other more politically talked about diversity yes. challenges. This diverse of diversity of thinking sits across and above them all. Um, you know, again, one other one of the other podcasts we talked to Callum McCurdy, who talked about neurodiversity, which again is another way of talking about that. And I yes. one of the things Callum agreed with is we're all neurodiverse. Um, some are more categorized, but we all are, as to your point. Um, yeah. One of the questions I have um, you know around diversity and and you hit on it and it's a piece that one of the things I've seen for a long time is we talk about D&I corporately it's this sort of cool little thing that seems to go together Um, kind of like HSE you know people forget there's three different parts or more there D&I and yet for the last couple of decades all we've really talked about is D yeah Um, and D in a pretty shallow kind of way yeah Um, the, the question or the interest I have is when you sort of start talking about I Inside a frame of fearless leadership, um, what is the I? How do you address the I? 
because this is where this is psychological safety, safe space, all those other yep. types of ideas. But how does an eye play out with the work? So I think about fearless leadership when it comes to leadership teams. There's four key levers we've got to pull. Mm-hmm. Um, purpose, uh, motivation, communication, and trust. Mm-hmm. So inclusion is about involving everybody, but why? Like why should we? What are we trying to achieve? For what purpose? Mm. Um, and so purpose to me is is critical. And I remember when I first started to work with executive teams, I expected they would be really clear on their purpose. And it surprised me that they weren't. And then it disappointed me as I mm. found that actually, you know, the first few teams that I was working with that weren't clear on their purpose were not unusual. And now I go in on an assumption that it's unlikely you will have a clear purpose as a leadership team. Sometimes the individuals have a clear purpose. So Mm. I know what I'm here to achieve. I know what I stand for. And most of the time there's a clear organisational purpose. But this level in the middle, which is the purpose of the team, is unclear. So until the leadership team is really clear, like are we all here because we're all executives and we're together because we will report to Andrew, who's the CEO? Like that's not a, you know, a good purpose. <laughs> you know, are we, are we, no. are, am, I, am I here because I'm the head of um, uh, industrial manufacturing and I'm here to lobby for resources for industrial manufacturing? Hmm. Or am I here Yes, I have the most experience and knowledge about industrial manufacturing of all of my peers, but I'm here as part of a leadership team. So I think, so to your question, how does the I come in? Firstly, we need to know why are we here together? Like what is the purpose of this team? And until we know that, then we don't know how to include people and why we should. Mm. So that's the first thing. Um, The second thing is motivation. Um, what motivates me in the context of work? What motivates you individually? What motivates us as a team? If mm. we don't understand one another's motivators, then we don't. Then it's much harder to um, it's much harder to work together, and it's much harder to include one another. So yeah. I use a I use a motivational profiling tool that looks at forty eight different uh, motivations in the context of work. Mm. And it's really interesting as we start to unpack that, you can just see the light bulbs going off as leaders go, ah, so I'm not wrong and you're not wrong, you know, and you're not deliberately, when I get all excited and start to talk conceptually about this new idea and you go straight to what's the plan, (laughs) you're not being difficult, you're just motivated to think structurally and I'm motivated to think conceptually. So. When we start to unpack motivations, that builds self-awareness. And (laughs) sometimes people say to me, surely by the time you get to executive team level, you've got that level of (laughs) self-awareness. Yes, that would be nice. And no, that is generally not the case. And even for people who are very self-aware, there's no end to this. The more self-awareness you have, the more you realise there's still more to know. Yeah, which is so, which is the journey of better, isn't it? Absolutely, it's, it's, the journey of better. It's not best. It's not, it's best. not the ceiling. It's, it's not the end. Yeah. And I know, just to interrupt for a second. I, I remember um, 
sitting in myself having you know, started my floor and organization and finally reaching some dizzy heights in corporate space, same conversation. You think back then I thought these people must be super clever and super organized and super aware and just poof, a game. Um, and they're still people, you know, they're still just people. And some of them, and, and they're all very, they're all great at certain things and gifted at certain things and able at certain things, but collectively they're still just people. Yeah. Um, they still make mistakes. They still uh, have their own agendas. All of that stuff played out at every single level as I moved up the organisation. It's quite fascinating, isn't it? And the motivation one is it's a beautiful way to, I suspect when you're talking to people, um, it's not just isn't it interesting how you're motivated. I suspect a whole bunch of the game, oh, that's why I behave like that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, right. Yeah. Hmm. That probably explains a whole bunch of stuff here, home, sporting field, yep. wherever. Absolutely. Ah. <clears throat> yes. The, um, as my team will say, like, there's a, you know, Andrew's often, I'm often the wonderer, you know, the conception of, oh, what are you, yeah. what are, you know, what shiny you, things. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Can we put yeah. in a box? We agreed this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Karim. But, yeah, that's really cool. So, so that was yeah. the second piece, motivation. So that's, that's motivation, building individual awareness and then building yeah. team, team awareness. And and I think that is probably the single biggest contribution to mm. inclusion at a, at a leadership team level in the first instance. Like that's yep. the, the 101 version. Yep. Um, communication is how we communicate with one another, obviously, formally and informally. It's also about our expectations of one another. Like um, <laughs> mm. one of my favourite wor- words is thwarted, and it's a good day when I get to say thwarted, and it's only 10.30 in the morning, <laughs> so today is going to be a great day. Early win. <laughs> Early win. Um, when... When we are, when we're angry, when we're frustrated, when we're disappointed, that's usually a thwarted expectation. Mm. And I expected something of you that you didn't provide, mm. and so I'm frustrated. You know, I'm pissed off. I'm whatever level of energy is involved, and it might be something overt, like you committed that your team would have a deliverable that then needs to be worked on by my team to then be. Completed. Like it might be something quite practical, structural, and clearly agreed, and you let me down. Or mm. it might actually be that in my world, a classic example, um, I'm coaching an executive. Most of the work I do is with teams, but I, mm. I reserve capacity each quarter to take on three clients one on one. So mm. I'm working with an executive, and she was lamenting that. The CEO and one of her peers hadn't called her back when she'd called after hours. And I said, okay. And she said, because they would know, like I would only I would only call after hours if it were important. Like, wouldn't you think they would call me back? Turns out she didn't leave a message. And she didn't leave a message because in her mind, to have called in the first place indicated a need to talk. Whereas and so she was feeling like um, she wasn't being valued. And I said to her, mm. my suggestion is you go and have a conversation with the CEO and you go and have a conversation with the colleague who didn't, you know, has not returned your calls a number of times. And the response was pretty much, oh, you didn't leave a message, so I didn't think it was important. Now, that's such a basic example that you can roll your eyes and say, oh, come on, get real. 
typically it's the small things that trip us up. She yes. had an expectation that her call would be returned. They had an expectation that if if it's important, you would leave a message. And so when we're really clear around mm. the executive table, what do we expect from one another? Like what are the three to five absolute fundamentals of how we engage with one another, like team norms, you know, rules mm. of the sandpit, whatever you want to call it. Yep. Um, and that's kind of the 101 of, of inclusion because this person felt um, disincluded. That's not the right word, is it? doesn't sound right. Unincluded? Uh, unincluded. Not included. Not included. Yeah, she felt not included. <laughs> yep, not included. <laughs> but that was just because she was expecting something and someone else wasn't providing it, but there was no communication. Yeah. And so that's kind of the 101 of communication. And if we have more time, I'd love to talk to you about some of the more complex stuff around communication. <laughs> um, and then trust is, is a, a fundamental. I need to trust you that when I divulge things that I'm in a safe space. I need to trust you um, from a competency perspective. Like I need to, if you're the, um, you know, if you're the director of finance, I need to be confident that you have, and to be able to trust in your technical skills. By the time we get to executive level, most of the time you can tick that off. Like the, the technical competency is typically there. Yep. So it's this trust in you as a person, trust in our relationship together and trust in the strength of the team that, as you mentioned before, creates that psychological safe place. Mm. And so I, I typically do a bit of a, a self-diagnostic of the team when I start um, to look at that in a couple of other areas um, to work out where do we need to do the most work. And trust is sometimes, unless the trust is seriously broken, um, Trust is something that often comes when we work on the others. It's not an overt, you know, back, think back to the 80s. We don't fall backwards and catch one another and, you know, demonstrate trust. It's a trust comes when we show vulnerability and we work on the other things. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, yes, I do remember the old fallback stuff and being a bigger guy, it was always very nervous times then. <laughs> Certainly had to be partnered appropriately, otherwise it could have got a little ugly, couldn't it? Um, would have had a casualty. Anyway, leave that alone. Um, the, the, the trust piece is, uh, is an interesting one. And a lot of organisations, I think trust is a word that's used a little too lightly and loosely at times. Um, and And not only in the sense of, how it's held, but also in that people's, to go back to your earlier conversation, around expectation, um, you know, there's a there's a piece of, um, you know, and the other the other old chestnut, trust is earned, not given. Like all of these little chestnuts around trust. Um, in the work you do, like how do you see that in teams? Because obviously trust is a pretty, it's one of the pivotal or pillar type aspects to this. How do you see that playing out? What are the, what are the, you know, if we're going to be better, what do we, you know, how do we, how do we work with this trust piece? Because it feels like one of these talked about and deeply misunderstood frames. Yeah. Now, to, to your point of, you know, is trust earned or is it, uh, are you giving it up front? I, I think there's two types of people. Mm. 
um, you know, and <laughs> I'm picturing some kind of Pinterest quote that says, never trust anybody who says the world is divided into two types of people. So put that aside. <laughs> um, people, people will have a trust profile that says, I give trust. Hmm. And I will trust you until such time as you, pre- pre- you know, prove yourself untrustworthy. And that's my personal profile. Yep. And I remember having this conversation with my husband years ago. My husband um, grew up in a developing country. He was a guerrilla fighter um, before I met him, has had un- and has had quite a difficult life. Mm. And he said to me once, you can afford to trust because you've had an easy life. And he comes from the other way of he's less inclined to trust and once you've shown that you're trustworthy, um, so there's no right or wrong there. You, you need to know that when you, if you're a new person in a team, for example, that some of them will trust you immediately and some of them won't. And it's not about you. It's actually about them. What happens next is about you, but it's yeah. what what you walk into um, is about them. And I think trust comes from lots of small trust experiments, conscious and unconscious. Like sometimes we consciously do things to test things out. Sometimes we just do and, and we and we get a result um, that work over time. <laughs> so if I can give you an example of something that I do um, with executive teams, typically not on the first date, I have to say. You know, there has to be a level of trust um, with you. from them to me. Yes, that I can keep the space safe for them. But Mm. (laughs) I will, um, and I don't give them advance notice of this because some people just would worry too much, but I ask them to, I give them 20 minutes or so to think about two pieces of feedback for each person, things they do that support the team process and two things that each person does that can sometimes detract from the team process. Now, this comes with a lot of framing up front around feedback reflects as much about you as it does about the person that you're giving it to, that some of the things that people do that might detract from team process, they're not doing deliberately, but perhaps they're not aware of it. And mm. and and so we sit in a circle um, and we go around and we offer this feedback. And I remember, I, I can give you many examples, but one in particular where I set this all up and the CEO took me aside and said, Corinna, I don't think my team are ready for this. And I said, because I, I had said to him, we'll do a feedback activity. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good thing. I said, what makes you think that? And he gave me some examples. And I said, all right, good point. Can I give you some counterexamples? Because I'd worked with them already for a couple of days and I gave him some counterexamples. And I said to him, your team may not handle this every team I've ever worked with has Mm. and how about you trust me and you trust yourself because I think this was more about him than the team and let's see what happens and of course it was totally fine Mm -hmm. but what often comes out of that is people own new strengths you know that thing that I thought like in my case I'm really warm and friendly and I now know that that is actually a strength but I didn't know once that that was a strength. I thought that everybody was warm and friendly. Like it's so, that comes so easily for me. It can't possibly be a strength. And so people actually own strengths. Mm. Uh, they might also say, oh, you know, four of you, there's seven in the leadership team and four of you um, said that I dominate the conversation. You know, I got that feedback five or six years ago and I worked on it and I thought I'd had it sorted. Maybe I need to work on it again now. 
Or sometimes it's, yeah, I, I knew that, but I didn't think anyone else could see it. And sometimes it's, gosh, that's, that has come completely out of the blue for me. I wasn't aware, but four of you have said that. And so I think I need to do some more thinking about that. But that level of vulnerability and it's vulnerability to give feedback, mm. vulnerability to receive <clears throat> feedback, and even vulnerability to be witness to somebody giving someone else feedback, that level of shared vulnerability builds massive trust. Like yeah, after that activity, people feel so much more close um, and connected as well as they have new levels of self-awareness, which then can impact you know, how they work within those other types of things that we've been talking about. Hmm. And what might come out of that, back to the opening conversation about inclusion, is that one person actually doesn't feel included. I was working with an executive team a couple of months ago and one of the executives got feedback from a few of of his peers saying something, things along the lines of you're great when we're having executive conversations around your area of expertise, but you don't contribute to conversations beyond that and when you do, we all listen. So we want to hear more from you. And so that's a real opportunity for inclusion. What a gift. Yeah. But until, uh, like, and I suspect in that feedback session, that person may not have ever had the opportunity to actually to stop and think about it and then call it out, yes. to actually name those things and to, as you said, to kind of go, well, here's a strength and I'd like some more of it, please, because collectively it makes us better. Yeah. It actually builds the team. It, it creates a better environment, better conversation. And, and on the alternative side, here's some things that potentially make us less better. Yeah. You know? They're problematic, and and it's um I can imagine there are times when uh, that is quite a confronting thing, but if they're given with a sense of the framing you talk about, I think this is a really important thing. Corinne talked about if people were ever, hey, we'll do that in our team. Yeah, don't try this at home unless yes. you're really really <laughs> yes. good framing, and you've got someone to yes. hold the space for you. Once yeah. you once you've done this a few times with someone else, then you can do it as a team. Yeah, so this is not the uh, what the heck, let's give this a whirl Friday. Yeah. Um, because it has to be given in the sense of kindness and kindness isn't nice, it's kind and That's it's direct so and it's it's yeah. to the point and it's it's not soft, easy or nice, it's it's hard. And yet the gold that comes forth from it is just amazing. Um, and I suspect the, the gift here is of you know, teams that you work with the next time you connect, and then there's always fallback, you know, or there's always a bit of reduction, but there's some of those things stay in place. Yeah. And going back there again quickly, watching the depth of conversation, like things deepen and widen, um, uh, to use a different frame, the potential that was sitting there starts to be realised. Yes. Um, yeah. And, 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 and the, the other thing is that this is the start of a conversation too, not the finish. So <laughs> I tend to... Um, so when I work with it, with executive teams, typically it's 12 to 18 months to two years. And um, and there's talk work between mm. each, each time when we're together. And so the talk work mm. involves a conversation that I need to make time for a coffee or a Zoom chat or a walk in the park or, you know, whatever, a drink, whatever you do at your place um, yep. with each of my colleagues. And so the talk work that always comes after this kind of, of fearless feedback is what was not said. 
in the conversation? Mm. What did you want to say but you thought, I don't think I'm ready to say this today or Andrew's not ready to hear this or I don't think this is for consumption in the whole group? And sometimes those things are things that people admire as well Mm. as, well, this is a frustration. So what was not said and what's behind some of the things that were said? So that conversation then goes much deeper. It's good. And that's the, um, as you said, there's that whole, it's not just what was able or people felt comfortable, um, especially in the early days, uh, early, early engagement with this stuff. People, it's it's there's a lot of nervousness around this, yeah. um, and I suspect I suspect on the other end of things, there's also folk who go right, glad we did that. Um, back to the real work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have kind nothing of, for me to learn there. Yeah, kind of missed the point of what just happened. But again, that also tells the conversation around for people around what their motivation is, what their understanding of communication is, you know, and their alignment to the purpose. Um, I know similarly doing uh, similar type of work with clients and it, this work is the other side of the, the warning label on this bottle is um, you don't, don't do it alone, don't do it with, make sure you get yeah. some help to hold the space. Yeah. And the second part of it is be aware that this can lead to conversations that are deeply uncomfortable around suitability engagement or totally may, may yeah. or may not be here in six months, yeah. three months, two months. Um, people... Yeah. Having this type of depth deepening and widening, sometimes people self-select or select. I'm, I'm opting out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's. I feel like I need to say too that giving and receiving feedback. You've said it's hard. Like it actually, <laughs> it actually is hard, it, and it can be hard because of our our wiring. For mm. not all of us, but for many of us. Can I, a little bit of a, 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 an admission, Andrew, I did um, I do, I did a workshop for a client recently. Um, it was uh, was online and there was about, oh, we did it three times and there was, I don't know, 40 or 50 people in each group. And part of this was around um, fearless conversations and asking for feedback. How do you ask for feedback? And then how do you receive that feedback? It wasn't about giving feedback in this one. It was actually about asking for feedback and receiving mm. feedback. And then a, a week or so later, I got a phone message and it was a person ringing up, introduced themselves, where they were from, and it was from this organisation. And you know where you, you can tell when someone's ringing you up and they're nervous? So, you know, hi, Corinne, really enjoyed the workshop, got a lot out of it, and um I'd really like to talk to you because in the interest of feedback, I've got some feedback for you. And uh, and I and and I thought, okay, right, call her back. But I could feel myself going, ooh, what's she gonna say? You know, was it terrible? Did I offend anybody? Was it and and my heart rate went up massively. And the irony of that wasn't lost. Mm. And and it, it actually it turns out, and this is sort of looping back to inclusion too, as a, as a different illustration of inclusion. Her feedback to me was that um, the images in the PowerPoint were all white Caucasian, mm. and that um, this person's partner, who is not white Caucasian, would not have seen himself in any of my images. Mm. Now, that for me was quite, when she said it, it was, 
oh my God, you are so right. I can't believe you've had to give me that feedback because my house is a mini multi, um, a mini UN. My <laughs> husband is from Myanmar, he's Burmese, so he's quite dark skinned. Uh, my youngest child um, has Sri Lankan birth parents. She has dark, dark skin. Uh, my eldest child is half Asian. Um, so <laughs> my, my family would not have seen themselves represented in mm. my slides. Mm. And, like, I bang on about inclusion. Mm. It's so, uh, yeah. It's that piece around, uh, it's, it's, you know, beautiful for the transparency because we all, I think the lesson in that little piece for me is here's someone who does this work and does it beautifully. But, but doesn't. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah. still has this But he's human spot. and flawed. And, yeah, yeah, you know, and, and, and there's confirmation bias that sits deep underneath yeah. where this is, isn't this a normal thing? And, and that whole group of sets of 50s, one person. Yeah. One person what, called out. What was really interesting, Andrew, is that I've thought about this and I actually did a LinkedIn post last week because I thought, this is really good feedback and I'm going to, in the interest of, of helping the conversation around inclusion, I'm going to call it out. So basically mm. did a post just telling that story and I was looking at it yesterday morning and one woman from another organisation, uh, different, different program, different organisation, so different set of slides, um, who is African. Um, and I can't be more specific than that. And now I'm feeling uncomfortable that I can't be more specific than that, but I can't. Um, she put a post on a comment on my LinkedIn post saying, Corinne, I noticed that and I should have given you that feedback and I didn't. Mm. And But then she said, your style is so inclusive. Your slides and your images were not inclusive, but you are inclusive, which was really nice. That was affirming feedback. But I thought that's really fascinating that Mabel noticed, presumably wanted to say something and didn't, mm. and and now then said, yes, I saw that too. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting. So so my point actually wasn't so much about that. It was about the feedback. Like I, I talk about feedback. I invite feedback. I train feedback. And when someone offers me feedback, I go, uh, I hope this is going to be all right. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, I hope so it's okay. Yeah. So if anybody is sitting around their executive team table or any table thinking, oh, I think feedback is hard and she sounds like she's making it easy, no, I'm not making it easy. I know it's hard and it's hard yeah. for me too. I think it's – and I, if it, I'll go a little bit further and say feedback is that easy uh, or if – giving or receiving, it's possibly a little too shallow or it's also possibly um, not on target as well because yeah. normally with feedback that's useful has a level of discomfort. Totally. And um, the return on investment for asking for and receiving and then doing something with feedback is mm. massive. And there's a cost. Like even if I think about this, this um, feedback on my slides, that has a time cost now because every slide deck I'm looking at thinking, is this good enough? And it's not about has it got a token Asian in it, you know, is there someone dark? It's would an Australian audience see themselves 
represented in this in some way. And I put lots of thought into my slides and my images, but up until now it's been what concept am I trying to, to illustrate and how does that image fit in the flow of the other images? So now I've got another sort of overlay to, to look at, but that's really useful. It is. So the return it, on investment is great. Yeah, it is. And, and again, it, on the journey of better, these are the kind of things that um, are, are stepping stones to get there. Uh, yeah. And it is, and it isn't a destination. It's the journey. Uh, that's a, it's kind of a wanky statement people talk about, but this really is. Um, this doesn't. You don't have a session and. Glad we cleared the gear. It's all good now. Let's move on. It's it's yeah. part of how you now do business better is by doing the people better. Yeah. Um, working with that leadership team, my peers, my leader, my boss, you know, my number one team. How do I then? I guess the other pieces, and it's a it's the gift that you bring, is take this and as you start to lead a team, you lead. You know your second team or the team that you you help lead. How do you do the change there? Yes, um, yeah. Because it, it isn't often the gift isn't just to. And you see, I'm sure you see this. I certainly have. The leadership team kind of revels in the joy of the experience, and it stops. And it's like, well, how does this? So, so this team might be better, but the business isn't getting better. Yeah. Um, how do you, you know, is that something you see and uh, consider mm. with the teams you work with? Absolutely. Um, and, and it starts right at the start. So um, it might be, for example, we talked about team norms mm. or the leadership team purpose. Mm. And there'll be a discussion around should we, let's tell everybody this is our purpose. And someone else will say, I'd rather we just shift our behaviour and then they see it. So it's like to what level are we communicating, you know, we're now a strong aligned executive team and these are our five key principles and to what extent do we live into that and it becomes obvious to people. Mm. Um, And what are the conversations that each of you are having with your teams? And I, I know one of the things I love most is when I get an email or a phone call from somebody who's worked with me telling me how they've taken an element of what we've done and done it with their team mm. and this is what happened yeah. um, I, one of one of my organi- one of my clients is a um, utilities company and when I started working with them they used um, OCI to measure their culture mm. and they were hoping um, to improve the culture at the executive level and then and possibly impact the next level of um, leaders. And then when they had an OCI, I think about two and a half years in, it flowed right through to three levels of leadership. You could mm-hmm. see the impact of their new way of working together. Because I'm sure you would see this. When someone on the executive team comes to you and says, we need help because our middle-level managers aren't communicating and they're, play- and they're playing turf wars, my immediate thought in my head is, yes, you do need help, and I bet the help is not needed at the middle level because the only reason middle-level leaders don't work well is because the executives yeah. aren't working well together. Yeah. And just even, actually, the same utilities company, actually, um, I remember we'd been working together for about six months and mm. they had a staff briefing 
And what they would normally do in that is two executives would go around to various sites and do this staff briefing. And they decided to make a massive investment and they would all go. Like, and that's that's multiple sites. That's a significant investment to take all the executive team out to do this. And they mm. decided that that was worth it. And they were delighted that they got feedback like, you guys look like you were having fun together. And the executive team looks like they like one another. Now, you would hope that is the case, but in this organisation under a previous CEO, that wasn't the case. It was very much divide and conquer. There was not a collegiate culture. And so just the junior leaders across the organisation seeing the executives relating, to go back to your language before, kindly to one Mm. another, Mm. sets a whole new tone. Mm. It's fascinating to see, isn't it? And, and, you know, that people often want to implement these big culture programs and I'm sure you see this too. It's like, great, um, let's start talking about how you talk to each other. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So I've had similar similar experience with a big mining organisation who approached us and said, you know, the frontline people in the workforce, frontline supervisors, they just they don't know how to lead, they don't know how to manage, it's a bit hopeless. And, I, and I'm summarising, I said it a little yeah. kindly, but that's what they were saying. Um, well, they actually weren't saying kindly, they were saying it nicely. Um, and the sort of said, first question for me was, so how is your leadership team going, the exec team? I know we're good, we're fine. Yeah. Mm. Nothing so, to see here. Yeah, nothing to see here. Mm. Interesting. So, yeah, we're really interested in helping this team, but to do that we need to start with your team. Yeah, I don't think you understand. We want these people fixed. You know, I understand. Um, and we'll start here because leadership's done through example and depending upon your frame and service to this behaviour will be an echo of how you people are behaving, your team, your group. You know, you don't understand. Cool, cool. Thanks very much. Have a great day. And it was, they just could not see that how they as an exec team could behaviour was impacting the whole organisation. Yeah. Um, and also, we're good. We're good, thank you. Move on. Um, yeah, and it's interesting, Pete, you walk away from a cracking piece of work because you know it's not going to be necessarily impactful. This yeah. isn't going to make so, – so there will be some improvement, some betterment of those people, but it won't be sustainable and it no. won't necessarily be legacy because the organisation We're not changing the environment around them. Yeah. Correct. And I think that's really powerful when you are able to say, this work is not for me. Mm. Um, this work is not for me because there's someone who can do it better than me. Like, let me introduce mm-hmm. you to my good friend, Andrew Deering. He, this is his expertise. He can do this work. Or, yeah. as you've said, I can't make the impact here that you want because you're not willing to work where the problem is. Yeah, and and yes, you're right, and that is also another you know um, really useful piece where in organisation either outside help or in organisation you can't be all things to all people. To get better, you have to understand going way back to your framing around um, you know motivators and alignment to purpose and how we communicate and the trust. Understanding that there's a bunch of people and they're all a wee bit different, or I certainly hope they are. Because if they're not, life can go. Oh, and to be perfectly honest, I would hate to work with me. Like it just would be, if I had a table full of me, oh, it would drive me nuts. 
um, drive all of us nuts. And that's the beautiful thing about the eye. So we go to start the, the gift of better that sits inside inclusion yeah. and diversity on every level of an organization as much as you are able just brings deep richness and it isn't and this is again what you said was just beautiful way back then twin was understanding that um that that isn't easy you know people put these diversity things you know they're right we're diverse go yeah and then watch things break often because we're not mindful of what the energy and the 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 deliberateness and inclusion can take yeah. Um, it yeah. takes it takes courage to be included. Like it yeah. takes courage to speak out when you're not sure how your voice is going to be heard. But it also takes courage to include other people. Mm. Like if I'm if I'm going to ask you what you think or invite you to be part of a something, then I might need to shift my own beliefs. Yes, uh, you know, and you know. I've taken a long time to develop these beliefs. They're serving me very well. Thank you very much. Yes, so especially at senior takes levels. Courage. Yes. Especially at senior levels, what got me here is pretty significant. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. Have a look at my title. Yeah. You know, it's big and shiny and sometimes has an E in front of the GM and I'm important now. Yeah. And, it, and I don't mean to be dismissive of people. It's not about that, but it's this is that actually becoming your limit? Um, and the tension I, love talking about with organizations is when we want to be best, best practice, what world's best class, whatever best. You know, when I hear that frame, I often say to people, I'm so disappointed to hear that you just want to be best. That is such a disappointment and I'm really sad for you. What are you talking about? Well, to me, best is a destination and end. It's not a journey. And I'm wondering why you wouldn't want to just continually be better. Um, and I think in leadership teams and particularly executive teams, They've done, people have done really well to get there. Um, however, they've got, they've, they've seen your roles. And as you said, technically, they're usually pretty good because they've had to be at some space. But has that become a best thing such that yeah. better, better is hard? You know, I know I'm sitting at the top of this particular structure. Look at me. Well done, Tiger. But does that actually limit you from better? Yeah. You know, is there potential of that? Um, because you've in your silo or your construct, you're best. You know, you won. Reminds you won. me. It reminds me of what you said. Um, what got me here? So Marshall Goldsmith's book, "What mm. Got You Here," won't get you there. Mm. One of the things that he talks about in that book is when you get to executive level, it's really important to make the distinctions between what are the, what um, what are you successful because of. Mm. And what are you successful in spite of? Mm -hmm. Because we think that some of our strongest characteristics are the causes of, of our success, and some mm. of them certainly will be, but others we've been successful in spite of those things because there are other things around us. And helping senior people start to deconstruct, particularly as the context changes, because what made me successful in this context may not make me successful in that context, yeah. that's really challenging. Well, you know, people love working with me because they know where they stand because I tell it like it is. Yeah, sure you do, but there's this, like there's this trail of carnage behind <laughs> you. Yeah. Imagine how successful you could have been if you were as decisive and as strategically brilliant and all of those other things and showed a little compassion as well. Mm. 
and, and those pieces that they are unaware of or in spite of, you know, to use the conversation you do around fearless leadership, people are often really scared of those things because of introducing those things in because it's, hang on a minute, but I I won the battle to be here. I use yes. that word deliberately. I won the battle to be here at this seat by not doing that. You know, you're asking me to engage with some of that. I'm a little scared, which is why you'll frame, you know, fearless leadership. Yeah. It's when you're getting to that, whatever level you are, whatever where you want to be, you know, being willing to engage with things that make you a little afraid um, and stepping through that, um, which I, you know, I can see. <laughs> I can only imagine you sitting in a leadership team and helping people on that journey um, because it is, there is, and it's real, fear, you know, false expectations appearing real, whatever your acronym mm-hmm. for fear is. Yeah. Nonetheless, it feels real. Yeah. Um, that's Stephen, you're, you know, hey, Corinne, I'd like to give you some feedback. Bah! <laughs> Yeah. And I similarly, yeah. I've had the same thing. It's like, oh, damn, I missed a call. I know. What, what are they going to say? You know? and, and ultimately, you, in reflectively, you go, well, who cares? Yeah. Well, I, I did. I did. Um, and there was a bit of fear there. And so as a leader, how do you get through that fear to go to the other side of it? Yeah. And um, I, I always say that fearless leadership is not the total absence of fear. Because, like, if, you, if there's totally no fear, then you're either dead or dead drunk, and neither of those <laughs> are useful states for leadership. So it's about fearing less. It's about yeah. really getting lots of different data sources, quantitative and qualitative data, um, and your fear is another data source. So use that fear and uh, as a data source and help that. And it's so it's fearing less. Yeah, that's and that is beautiful, and it's a. Uh... It is the piece around, it isn't denial, it's acknowledgement of and mm. working with to go through, pass yeah. around, but it's it's not about ignoring, it's not about trying to kill it, it's not trying to break it, it's it's recognising that it's real. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, there are some things that all of us, if you don't have any fear, otherwise you're sitting either dead or dead drunk or maybe a bit of sociopathic issue, but you know, one of the, one of the <laughs> pathics that aren't so helpful, not not yep. for the other end of it. Um, but it is that piece where we all have it. We all have fear. We all deal with it. Um, and to be better, you have to be willing to at least, you know, the old, I've got this little picture, a bit of a Star Wars nut, but, you know, old Luke Skywalker going into the little cave on the planet wherever Yoda was and having to face himself. You know, but being willing to go there, mm. um, and usually the scariest part of any challenge is actually ourselves and our own stories and our own views and our own frames. Mm. It's not the others. We sometimes blame them, but and to be better, you just got to go there sometimes. That's brilliant, and I'm I'm mindful of uh, time, and I just I just really um, want to sort of collectively say just a bunch of really interesting conversation and it's deeply useful for people um my one question which i ask at the end of this and i know i haven't forewarned corinne so sorry and you're welcome is um one thought for today tomorrow this week if you could leave with people that like if just hang on to this piece that might be a useful piece for people what would be your your sort of your final frame um to put you on the spot um there is no courage without fear. Mm. Like courage is the flip side of fear. What takes courage for me 
maybe a walk in the park for you. Mm. Um, so we all are, we have fear around different things, and we need courage for different things. So mm. my uh, invitation for you, anyone who's listening this week, is um, find a little courage experiment. Do mm. something in your leadership that takes courage. It might be offering someone else some feedback. It might be asking for some feedback. It might be stepping out and speaking publicly on something. It might be shutting up. You know, maybe you, it's just shutting up. Um, <laughs> do Have a little experiment um, with something that requires courage from you. That's, that's a cracker. That's something for everyone to grab hold of if they choose um, and just looking for that experiment around courage. Well, thank you, Corinne. So other, um, I guess the other piece is, as we said earlier, you've got a couple of books out there that are deeply useful. I can see them in the background. Um, and, and if people want to reach out and say g'day or seek to do work with you, um, obviously they go to your website. Corinne Armour, yep, corinnearmour.com. Which, again, we'll stick in the show notes. I'm getting better. Or LinkedIn. Things. Or LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. Please send a message. Please reach out. Um, you know, always happy. You're always keen to do work in this space and help organisations uh, develop their own approach to fearless leadership um, and to, you know, for the frame I would use, but for them to be better and for them to have the business to be better. Totally. Um, and to go right back to your start comment, spot on, it's all about people. You know, businesses are nothing more than a collective bunch of folk. Um, so thank you very much for your time, Corinne. We'll thank put you all for the having me, Andrew. On. No, you're welcome. It's just amazing had a great time and I think people will really enjoy this conversation thank you thank and to everyone else have a great week and uh, until next time and we chat again <laughs>